service, uh, no one is going to switch up our paradigm. We're going to have a great night. Parents, we are so pumped that you guys are here, and there are many reasons why we are excited. I hope that beyond anything that those of you who come to Jersey and maybe those of you that don't, uh, that you just get to get a uh, kind of a snapshot glimpse of what your kids get every week from worship to uh, sermon time to celebrating life transformation to community afterwards, all of the above. We pray that this would just be an up, uplifting time to you, uh, and we also pray that we would get to, after the service, have some interaction with you guys, because a lot of you I don't know very well, uh, so we're excited that you guys are here. We're in the middle of our Love Well series. Every spring, we do a big 13-week campaign that kind of gets us from February to May, and this year, we're just calling it Love Well, and the idea is, is that we want to focus in on the expansive, inclusive, ridiculous, over-the-top amount of God's love that He has lavished onto us and for the last really four weeks, we've just tried to really sit under that fountain, looking into the depths of God's love, researching it and studying it and pouring over it with our eyes we have looked at the gospel every single week for four weeks now, uh, begging God to really kind of flood our hearts with his expansive love. This week is a little bit of a turn because we've worked from north to south, God to us and us to God for four weeks. We are now taking what God has given us, what he has done in us through the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we're taking that east to west for the next nine weeks. We are going to look at how to love the outcast, how to love love uh, the nations, how to love our friends, how to love our brothers and sisters, how to love our church, and how to love our parents, which is why you're here on Parent Night. We're excited to get to share this with students and parents alike, but what we want to do is recap the gospel briefly so that we are all founded on a correct and strong foundation working our way forward. What we know is, is that in the beginning, God creates everything, that out of his mouth, he speaks things into being. And this is a power that no one in this room can flex, only he can flex this. So in the creativity of his mind and the outpouring of his power, he speaks things into existence. And what we know is, is that God creates all things for his glory. So look at your neighbor and say, for his glory. Now look at the other neighbor and say, all things that are made for his glory. Now the reason we want to continue to emphasize this is because the world that we live in constantly wants to trick us into thinking that the world is for us, that the world revolves around us, that we are the most important player, that if everyone would just figure out that we are more awesome than everybody else, surely life would be easier. That's why when you're waiting in line at a McDonald's and some moron up in front of you backs up to pick up ketchup and you're trying to get somewhere, that's why you're sitting there going, are you kidding me? Get out of the way. It's because you think to some extent that your plans are more important than that person getting ketchup on his fries, right? And, and the world is really like this, to the point that we would even go so far as to say, if I could get more money, if I could use people, if I could be put in the right situations, if people would give me their time, their affection, their money, their love, if people would realize that I'm worth more than they are, then surely 
I would be satisfied. What we need to know is, is that God does not start his story with you as the A player. In fact, you are created to bring him the glory and the praise and the honor for what he does in and through you. And this is pivotal because if we don't get this nailed in, then there are even some people who will talk about the gospel, but they'll totally misunderstand it to the point that they will think that God sent his son and died on a cross because he thinks that we're awesome, because he thinks that we're worthy, because he thinks that we're good, because he thinks that we're great, because he thinks that we're a little rough around the edges, but for the most part, we're pretty, pretty awesome and incredible, when in reality, God loves us tremendously in spite of the rebellion within us. So God creates all things for his glory. Out of his mouth, he speaks all things into being. This God who can form the universe by the word of his mouth does all things for the glory of his name. And then in the climax of creation, he gets personal. He gets on his hands and knees and he forms out of the ground a man. And looking at the man, realizing that it is exactly like he wants it to be he breathes life into that man and what was once clay becomes flesh and the man awakes for the first time the very first human eyes to ever behold the glory of the Lord in the creation that he has set before him and God calls him Adam and says, says to Adam basically the unwritten contract Adam you are going to glorify me as you enjoy me and serve me and you're going to love it all the days of your life you are going to get to spend loving me and enjoying me and worshiping me you're going to get to enjoy this beautiful canvas that I have laid before you it's going to be great Adam get to it man you have quite the life ahead of you so Adam goes and he begins to work and keep the garden he starts to name the animals it's it's a good story thus far and then God intrudes and said there's one thing that's missing every other animal on the face of God's green earth has a helpmate but Adam you are alone so he puts Adam down the first surgery that ever occurs takes from Adam a rib and forms a woman and this woman is named Eve and Adam wakes back up God wakes him up says Adam time to come up Adam wakes up looks in front of him sees Eve and mind blown instantly that is incredible God you are so good that you would give me this woman and the two complete each other they worship God in relationship they worship God in their labors they worship God in their being the story is great but if you read Genesis 2 you see that towards the end of the chapter a serpent enters the garden and begins to speak lies into Eve Eve did God really say that you can't eat of any of these trees and Eve says, no, of course God didn't say that. God said, don't eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. And the enemy says, oh, that's right. I know why he said that. He's afraid that you're going to make a better God than he makes God. If you would eat, you would know good and evil as he knows good and evil. He's nervous. He'll lose his power to you. That's why he does not want you to eat it. Beyond that, isn't it good to the eyes? Doesn't it look good? Doesn't it look pleasant? Look at the fruit. Look how delicious it looks. So Eve reaches out, eats the fruit, gives it to her husband, and her husband eats. And at this point, the world as it was intended to be fractures. The cosmos cracks. 
no longer are things the reality that God intended them to be. Mainly that sin enters the world and wreaks havoc. It blows it up. I was in a hotel in Cleveland uh, a couple nights ago and was watching Fox News. I made it about four minutes before I fell asleep. Not going to lie, I'm a sports center guy, but I wanted to kind of keep up with what the world was doing. So was watching a story of a guy that has uh, really kind of murdered his entire life and now at 70-some years old is finally getting caught for some of the things that he is doing. When you hear stories like that, isn't there something in you that says, it's not right here? Isn't there something in you when you look at some of the horrors that are coming out of the Middle East or some of the things that happen in our towns, in our lives, isn't there something in you that says, this is really busted, something's not right here, something's desperately wrong, surely we have gone away to some point in time, and certainly we have, mainly that when sin entered the world through Adam and through the decisions that Adam made, the world as it was intended to be shattered and every man and woman since that point in time has been born into the world with with wickedness in their soul it's the reason parents that you had children that became sinners and you didn't teach them how to do that you didn't teach them how to do that how many of you have kids in the room parents who are sinners they do things wrong right they disappoint you now kids are like don't raise your hand don't tell on me hey look your mom and said dads They love you, they are incredible individuals for putting up with you, but they are in sin as well before they come to Christ. All of us are in sin. Now, moms and dads, I'm glad that you're in the room. Let's have a serious conversation. You teach your kids to say, yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir. Teach your kids to tell the truth. Teach your kids to work hard. Teach your kids to love the people around them. Teach your kids to be nice. Teach your kids to do their chores. Teach their kids to do their homework, to treat people with respect. How many of you set your children down and said, all right, we've done all this stuff. Now i got something really important to say. This is how you tell a lie. Go practice. How many of you did that? How many of you said, this is how you break my heart and God's heart? This is how you lie about not doing your homework. This is how you're supposed to be lazy. This is how you're supposed to time in sin. This is how you're supposed to do all these things that no one really likes. None of you would be, if you were honest, would sit there and tell me that you taught your children how to do that. Where did they learn? They did it naturally. Best homes produce children that are broken under the weight of sin. Every single one of them. It's the reason at five years old, even earlier than that, your children start to display the brokenness that is within them. Because when we are born into this world, our souls naturally have a bend towards sin far more than we have a bend towards godliness. And what we learned over the last couple weeks is that in reality, not only are we born into a world full of sin, and not only are we sinners ourselves, but at the root of our sin, we actually believe that by sinning, we will be able to gratify ourselves, to supply ourselves with satisfaction, more so than we would find in God. So while God supplies for us the lives that we live, We take that life, we cash in on it, and we seek to do the things that break his heart. And this is the blasphemy that surrounds us. That as God allows oxygen to course over our lungs, and as he allows our hearts to beat in rhythm, we would use the life that he has so graciously provided for us, and we would sin with it, thinking that our sin would bring us more satisfaction than God would bring us. Now certainly we would not say it like that, but that's exactly what we're saying. 
Certainly no one would be so audacious as to stand up, whether you believe in him or not. Certainly no one would be so audacious as to stand up and say, when I sin, I, I'm really thinking that sin's better than God, but that's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. That's what we do as sinners. And what we know is that this is horrific before a holy and righteous God who does not tolerate sin. God is just in all of his ways. He is righteous in all of his ways. His standard is perfection. He in of himself is holy in all of his ways. And you and I are not. So God, in a display of justice and a display of love, these two collide in a singular event that has changed the scope and the sequence of human history since it has occurred and even backwards into time. God sends his son, being the just God that does not ignore sin, he sends his son to live the life that we could not live. Jesus being our righteousness, fulfilling the standard that we could not fulfill, doing the things that we could not do, while our hearts wandered in sin, God's heart in Christ stayed committed to the the way and the law and the truth that is in him. Christ walked the road that we refused to walk and in one display of justice he was sent to the cross being ordained by his father crushed under the weight of our shame and the sin and the wrath that we deserved as God poured his wrath out for on the sun, the sun stood obediently under the fountain of wrath and under the pressure of sin, he was crushed. And when he had dealt with God's wrath, his holy fury towards sin, he tipped the cup over and screamed, it is finished. And in all authority, he breathed his last, entrusting his very well-being to his father he enters into death and three days later in all victory and in all might and in all power and in all authority the son who has the power to lay his life down picks it up again and because we have sat under this fountain where he has so loved us when we have done everything but run towards him we sit under the fountain where God lavish his love upon you in Christ Jesus where in the cross and in the event of his crucifixion, he calls before the sons and the daughters of the world and he bids them to give them their sins, that we would be able to give our shame and our sin and our brokenness and our wickedness to Christ and that Christ would purge it out on our behalf, replacing within us righteousness, not our own, so that when the Father looks upon us, he sees Jesus and declares before the universe, they are not guilty. They are found in my son. They will spend forever with me in life through the power of the resurrection. Amen. That is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You have been so loved. You have been so loved. So look at your neighbor and say, I'm so loved. Even if you don't believe it, even if you don't live in it, 
even if you have never found it, even if right now as you listen to my words, your souls continue to walk in rebellion, having never put your faith in Christ, the love of Jesus and the power of the gospel is still true and it still pursues you and it chases you and it follows you and it romances you. And for those who have repented and trusted in its power to transform, surely we have seen new life, not because we're great but because he's great not because we are love but because he is love not because we deserve it but because he is worthy to give it not because we have done anything that is impressive but because he has looked over us in spite of our sin and given it to us anyway that's the one that's the reason why when john three sixteen says he has so loved the world that's why it's huge that's why it's major. It's why that two-letter word so it packs such a powerful punch. He has so loved the world that he would give over his only son that we may be found in him. This is the basis of everything. It's the reason why we're here. It's the reason that we sing. It's the reason that we're in ministry. It's the reason that we worship his name. It's the reason that we have life. It's the reason that although I don't deserve it and although I still mess up, it's the reason that I am covered and confident in the blood of Jesus Christ. In the power of his resurrection, we stand in this life forever to enjoy him being replaced and being, uh, being saved and being romanced and being pursued under this story, we have been so loved. So loved. You get your mind around that word so, and it'll blow it forever. That will blow your mind forever. It will open up the eyes of your heart. If you sit under that word so, surely it will impact you in a very special way. Now what we said last week as we turned the corner is that God, who has so loved us, has made us responsible to take the love that he has poured into us and out of the overflow of that love, he has called us to love those around us. Now I want to ask a question, but before I do it, I want to I be honest here. So uh, let's, let's just close your eyes. And we can be honest, especially with everybody in the room tonight. Just good that we can be honest, and I'll be honest with you as well. Um, students. How many of you have the hardest time being and representing the love of Christ in your homes? How many of you? That's just a really tough place to be the love of Christ because you have a hard time. Okay. Now, parents, how many of you would say that, that's a tough place? I would agree. That's, that's tough. That, that's a difficult place to be and to exemplify the love of Christ. Okay, so a lot of us. That's good. Hey, Carter, dude, if you go inside. Hey, Carter, if you go inside this closet right here and you grab the little uh, uh, the mouse for this computer, I would appreciate that, it's sitting over on that shelf. So a lot of us, you can open up your eyes, a lot of us would say that in our homes, that's the hardest place to love. That in our homes, that's the most difficult place to really exemplify and show the love of Christ. And there is, uh, there is something pretty natural about that. In fact, a lot of us would fall into that category. It's much easier to love people outside of our homes oftentimes than it is to love the people inside of our homes. It's much easier to love the people in our schools than it is our brothers and our sisters or our moms and our dads or our children because often the people that you feel most comfortable around and those are the people that you'll hurt the most even unaware you will act 
and unloving towards the people that you are closest to. This is pretty natural. It's always hardest to love the people that are closest to you. In fact, the people who are closest to you are the people that you will hurt the most. They're the people you feel most comfortable around. They're the people that you put your shield down for. They're the people that you really, you, they see you. They frustrate you, and as you walk through life's journey, oftentimes it's the people at home that can aggravate, frustrate, and cause you the most discomfort. And because of that, they can oftentimes be the hardest to love. When I was in high school, I went through some pretty tough times, and my mom and dad were uh, gracious to me, and they loved me, and they pursued me, and they continued to uphold me, and they were good to me all the way through. But what I know is, is that it was much easier to love the people outside of my home than my mom and dad. Not because I didn't love them, but because it was difficult to show them that love. So I want just to look at 1 John with us all tonight. If you have your Bibles, you can find it there. And maybe just seek some encouragement, uh, seek some, uh, some motivation, to seek some uh, some godly uh, counsel to seek God's word to encourage us to be who God has to be in our homes, that our homes would be the ground zero of our exemplifying God's love in our lives. Um, I've talked to a couple, a couple parents. I don't even quite remember who they are. I've talked to a couple leaders. And, and I've complimented uh, and talked about how uh, a kid was growing or this kid is doing big things or this kid is really kind of seeing uh, God uh, transform their lives. And, man, it's awesome to see them loving on people and caring for people. And the parent looked at me and was like, if they do that at home. It would be really awesome if they would live that way at home. It would be really awesome if they would treat people that way at home. It would be really great. It would be really great if, if the kid would do that at home. Now, parents, be careful. Be careful. Don't look at them and, like, you know, smack their hands or anything. We're, try, we're trying to get somewhere here. But that's true. That's true. Oftentimes, smarting off or doing whatever, lying, cheating, being disrespectful, oftentimes that comes at home. And it's easier for us to come into the house and act like, good Christians, what we want to do is see the love of God pouring over us and out of the overflow of that love, being able to give it back to the people who love us most, our parents. Is that cool? You with me so far? Tracking students up front, you good? Go up and down for yes, side to side for no. So First John chapter 4, it says this, beloved, beloved, I love it that they say that in the, in the text that John calls us beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now this is significant. It's significant in a culture that says love is a feeling. Love is only experienced when someone gives you something or something for you. Love is that infatuation that you get in the pit of your stomach when you have a crush or when you have an experience or when you find something that meets the pleasures of your eye. In a culture that says love is based on what something or someone can do for you, this text comes in and says love is from God, and if you love as God would define love, then you are born of God because God is love. That is, that is a humongous statement. 
Because if we would wrap our minds around how God has loved us, we will see very quickly that love is not based on what individuals can give for us. God loved you when you could give him nothing. Love is not based on a feeling. Surely Christ was not infatuated when he sat under the weight of wrath on the cross. Surely he wasn't feeling uh, the cutesy little butterflies in his stomach when he suffered and bled for us. But he was committed all the same to be obedient under the Father to do what was necessary in loving us to redeem us from our sins. So if love is from God, to redefine what we call love we've got to repurpose refocus in on what the word means if we're to be able to do it so let us love one another it is a command it's important it comes from God for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God the next verse is kind of scary though anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love God is love Let me ask you a question. You say that you love God. You say that you have been born again, that you have trusted in him, that he holds your souls. But do you love the people that you are closest to? I mean, do you really? You don't know what they do to me and you don't know how hard it is. And I mean, they won't let me stay up until midnight and text and I'm not allowed to to, you know, play video games 19 hours a day, and I've got to go to school. I mean, the nerve? Are you kidding me? Got to go to school? It's test day. Let me sleep in. You're going to school. Are you serious? Taking all excuses away, taking all excuses away, let me ask you a question. Do you love the people that you are closest to? Do you? It's a good question. Would the people that are closest to you testify that God is at work within you based on the way you treat them? Would they? Would people ever look at the way you treat them and say, I want what that person has? Brothers and sisters, little brothers and sisters, would they look at the way you treat and love them and say, I want what my big brother or big sister has? Or are you deterring them from what you have in Christ because you refuse to take up the biblical command that God has given you to love and to love well? The verse continues on. Continue reading with me. This is our example. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. Loving is so hard and it is so dangerous And we all want something and we all need something, parents and students alike. We all feel like relationally someone should be giving more than they are or I should have more than I'm receiving or someone should do something for me or someone should not talk to me that way or certainly I should be doing this, that, or the other or they should be doing this, that, or the other. When it gets the most difficult, remember Jesus, will you? 
Would you look at the story of Jesus and remember that he was so committed to loving you faithfully to the very end that he did not at one time stray from the path that was laid before him, but that he suffered and bled under the wrath that we deserved. If you would concentrate your minds and your hearts, parents and students alike, if we would get this into our guts that we have so been loved by God, if we would follow his example, if we would refuse to shift blame, if we would refuse to put the responsibility on someone else's shoulders, if we would take ownership for what God has called us to, if we would simply walk in obedience, how many more people in our lives right now might experience the same love that you experience in your Savior? How many? Countless. Countless. I'd go as far as to say, we haven't earned the right. We have not earned the right to love communities, to love school districts, to love cities, to love states, to love countries, to love nations, until we love our families. They are the people that God has made us responsible to. Parents and students alike, we must love one another. Students, if you come from families that don't know the Lord, what an opportunity. What an opportunity that if you would exemplify and show what God is doing in you, who knows, God might use you and your testimony to encourage your parents towards Christ parents same story you could shape your worlds if you would take ownership of this and when it gets difficult when in the core of your being you don't want to do it remember that Jesus did it for you that he doesn't call you to anything that he did not himself walk through he knows it can be scary to sit in your shoes he knows it can be difficult to walk this road he bled and he died as he loved you until the end. We must follow his example. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and in his love we are perfected. I don't pretend that this is easy. I don't pretend that I don't struggle with it. I'm not acting like this is more simple than it should or is. But on the authority of God's word, if we would live this out as the covenant community of faith, if we would exemplify this in our lives, more people would see Jesus through you. God would use you in greater ways than he does right now. More people would come to know Christ through the testimony that he is weaving out in you than they do right now. More power will be given to you to see more disciples made for the glory of his name. More joy will increase in your soul for the glory of his name. More contentment, more peace, more joy, more uh, life will be flowing through you if you would live this out. Parents and students alike, we must learn 
to love one another. We must. They make me mad. They frustrate me. They don't do what I say. Love them. Love them. I come from a broken home and it's really difficult. Love them and be encouraged that God has so loved you. They've hurt me so bad. Love them. Because they are not beyond the grace of God either. They too can be caught up in this love remade in his image. Love the people that you have been put around. And do it so that they too might see God's love in and through you. So here are some true statements. Love, it must come out of the overflow. Some of you come from some broken homes. Some students in this room come from really hurt, hurting, hurting lives. Moms and dads aren't together or moms and dads are together and they cause you guys a lot of pain or someone in your life has been uh, abusive towards you or has hurt you and it's really difficult to imagine loving them and, and how could I even do that because they've been so hard to me and, and, and I understand that some of those roads and some of your stories are horrific. They're beyond my ability to comprehend but even in that place if you would take God to his word and if you would trust in him to increase if you would allow his love to be lavished over you and you would take the overflow of that and take simple steps of love towards those individuals even though they've hurt you you'll start to see things happen will they fall down and repent maybe not will their hearts be softened maybe so love must come from the overflow Meaning this, it's not just a call for you to go out and love people in your own power. It's not a call for you to go feel good about everybody around you. Sometimes you're not going to feel good. Sometimes it's not going to be easy. But allow God's love to be lavished on you and take the overflow and pour it out on other people. Take what God has given you. He's changing your souls. He's remaking your hearts. Take that overflow and pour it out on other people graciously. Even when it's hard, be reminded that Jesus did this for you. Now, here are some practical steps for you. I texted some random individuals and just got some information. Parents, this might not be like your top priorities, but I would guarantee that no one in the room would be like, man, I would hate it if my kid did that. So I'm not saying that like I nailed it right here. You might have some things that you know you expect out of your children. It might not be on this list, or maybe I only hit a couple, and that's okay. I'm pretty certain that when you read this list, none of you are going to be like, are you kidding me? I don't want my kid to do that. I want my kid to be more of a smart mouth or whatever it may be. I, I, I'm, try, I'm trying to help. I just want to come alongside. I want to partner with you all. And then I'll talk to parents through the understanding and the minds of a teenager, and, uh, and maybe we can get somewhere. So here are some practical steps. How do I love my mom and dad? How, what does that look like? It's really hard. It's difficult. I'm not sure. Small steps. Here we go. Give them time. Give them time. We get so busy, so active, and it's so easy to make everything else a priority. And our relationships with moms and dads starts to suffer because we have put everything else above them. Free up some time and understand a lot of moms and dads just want to spend time with you. 
A lot of grandmas and grandpas, a lot of guardians, they just want to spend time with you. Give them time. Give them respect. They're smarter than you. When I was eight years old, I wanted a Winchester 270. A 270 would blow up a hole the size of Texas in about anything that that bullet hit. And I thought that because I could shoot a Red Ryder BB gun, that I was talented enough to handle such a weapon. So I said, Dad, I want a Winchester 270. And he said, no. Now go back and talk to your mom. Was my dad hateful? Was he hateful? No, he was loving and he protected me. And even when it's hard to see that, oftentimes your parents have the best interests in mind for you. Respect them, honor them, walk in the way that they would lay before you. They are smarter than you. Give them honesty. Don't lie. Tell them the truth. Every time I've lied, it's always come out worse for me in the end. And give them communication. I used to get picked up. My mom drove a 2007 black Jeep Grand Cherokee. And I'd get picked up in the front of the school, and she would always say to me, how was your day? And that was like the most annoying question she could ever ask me. Why was it annoying? I don't know. I don't know. But the nerve of her to ask me how my day is? Are you kidding me? Like, just be quiet. I've been talking all day. Communicate with your parents. You will be bid way better in the end if you would talk to them. My mom never had any poor intentions for me when she asked me how my day was. She just wanted to know. She wanted to hear my heart. Talk to your parents. So now in my life, I'm not above these principles. Every time I'm driving, I call my dad. Every time I drive, I call my dad. And every morning, I call my mom just to have conversation with them. Sometimes, I would rather listen to music when I'm driving. But I call my dad because it speaks to his heart, because it woos him, and because it reminds him that I'm appreciative for the place he has in my life. And it's been pretty hard between me and my dad. For a lot of years, we spent at odds with each other. But God's remaking that because we have both taken simple steps of love towards each other. And God can remake anything if you work out of the overflow. If you work out of the overflow, all things are possible. Give them time, give them respect, give them honesty, and communicate with them. Now, parents, I have never been a parent before. Pretty thankful for that right now. I work with teenagers, so I'm like really pumped that I don't have kids right now that would turn into teenagers. I'm just kidding, I love teenagers. I love you. I'm going to lose a lot of kids for this sermon. <laughs> Next week, we're going to have like 20, all right? I love you for crying out loud. I've never been a parent. And I know that if, you're, if your student is really plugged into Jersey students, it might seem at, at, at some point more uh, beneficial for there to be a lead student pastor here that is 45 years old, balding at the front with three kids of his own to, to tell you whatever it is that he has come by, and I'm not that. Don't have kids. I've not sat in your seats. I've not walked in your shoes. I'll be the first to admit that I do not know what it's like to be you. But I hope that that does not inhibit us from partnering together in me just simply being an aid to you as you seek to walk your children through these years. 
Instead, I hope that because I'm a little bit closer to their age and because it wasn't quite so long ago that I walked in their shoes, that maybe somehow I would be able to provide some kind of information or some kind of insight or some kind of angle on what they're thinking and maybe communicate that to you in such a way that I could just come along your side as you are mainly responsible for the growth and the discipleship of your children. I just want to be your partner. So in talking to students, these are some things that might be important to them. Give them support. Support them in what they're good at. Support them in what they love. As long as it's not burning anything down and it's not sinning before God and it's not destructive to their well-being, support them. Encourage them. Give them truth. Give them the truth. Now, sometimes this is painful for them and you, but tell them the truth. Give them affection. Now, affection looks differently for guys and gals, surely. Um, whenever my dad gets too mushy on me, I'm like, Dad, quit it for crying out loud. But when dad tells me he's proud of me, that's a big deal for me as his son. That's a big deal. That means a lot to me. I take that one to the bank, that my pop is proud of me. Give him affection. Give them spiritual investment. Give them spiritual investment. You have been called, parents, to be the disciplers within the lives of your children. That mainly, their main, their main influence as to how they see God's love will be based on how they saw you loving them. So spiritually invest in them. Take it beyond just getting them through their days and invest in their souls. Talk about what God's doing in them. Read the Bible together. Pray for them. Pray with them. Ask them good questions. Invest in them spiritually. It will pay dividends down the road. We have been so loved, and now we are called to love one another. Regardless of how hard it is, we take the overflow, and we pour it on those around us. So as the band comes and plays, and as we land this airplane, I would simply ask you to and to find yourself before the Lord and I want you to pray as I will pray that God would help you and he would help me parents and students alike that he would help us to glorify him in loving each other as Christ has loved us and that out of the overflow we too may exemplify that love in the relationships we have with those that are us it's hard it can be painful especially for students that come from broken homes moms and dads aren't here if there aren't good relationships there, if that's a struggle for you, I promise you, if you take God at his word and you walk in obedience, if you do the hard thing, and I know it's hard, but if you lean into him and you trust that his word is sufficient and you give love to those that are around you, that you will benefit in the depths of your soul and God will be glorified.
he will be glorified. And that's the purpose of all things. So let me pray for you. And then we're going to worship the Lord in all boldness. You can find yourselves here at the altar. Families, if you guys need to pray, uh, that God would help you. Students, if you need to pray, because it's super hard. If, uh, if parents, if you have wayward children or if something is going on that you need to pray about, you can certainly find yourself at the front praying. Someone will certainly pray for you. And then we're going to celebrate life transformation through baptism. And we're going to sing some more. And then we're going to fellowship together. Let me pray for us right now. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that in your love that we have been called to pour it out on those around us. What a privilege it is to point people back to you with our words and actions. God, I pray for students that they would go home and that they would exemplify your love for them in everything that they do. May they show this in the interaction starting at home and going abroad from there parents that in the business of life they would lean into the truth of the gospel that they would so love their children they would invest in them spiritually that they would adore them and they would treasure them and they would guide them goodness god we trust you for this we know task but as been loved we will love one another in your beautiful name we pray amen let's worship together you guys can stand